0: Welcome to the Portland Real Estate Podcast, Oregon and Southwest Washington's number one show for real estate news and information. Without further ado, here are your hosts and a couple of guys who as busy realtors and successful brokerage owners know a thing or two about real estate. Steve Nassar of Premier Property Group and Joe Fistolo of Soldera Properties.
1: Today, I'm really excited. We got... Ken Perry, uh, he's the founder of Knowledge Coop, which is teaching other lenders uh, compliance and training. He also uh, coaches on lender teams. He was a lender back in the day, and and now he's more of a compliance trainer. But he's also a world traveler. He bounces all over the United States. He's a speaker, a coach, a, a panelists. Uh, He's on podcasts all the time as guests or hosts, and he stays cutting edge, knowledgeable, and relevant, which is why he's an amazing guest to have on here, because we like to bring you guys the best content. Ken, if I left anything out, I'll give you a chance to fill in some blanks. But uh, first, I got to introduce myself and my co-host. I'm Joe And my co-host, Steve Nassar. What do you have to say, Steve? Hey, thanks. Thanks for the intro. Excited to have you
0: on, Ken. As we uh were kind of touching on before we jumped on the air here, I I've known I've known Ken for gosh, 15 years, maybe, give or take. I way but this goes way back to a previous life when I was in the mortgage business and he did a lot of continuing education training that I that I went to and A lot of those classes were at Bullwinkles in Wilsonville, um, which was just the coolest venue. We had so much fun back in the day there. This is probably going back to like 08, 07, 09, somewhere in there. And uh, there was a big training conference room where we'd sit there for most of the day, but then we'd have breaks and we'd go out (laughs) into Bullwinkles and we'd shoot hoops and have competitions and the little, the arcade games and have yeah it was just it was so fun and and that was a staple in our in our world so That's
2: such a good venue let's bring it back I know. <laughs> well they took out that training room it was so perfect and we would just go you know we'd race cars on lunch break or do yeah, laser so track and it was you just mm. i i never want to create an event that i wouldn't want to attend and so that was kind of why we did it it's my my adhd drives me to do things for people like me And so that was one of those, and in the mortgage industry, it's a whole lot of that. So uh, yeah, if you can race cars uh, and then go back and and learn more, like that's just the best way to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they were such great classes. You did a good job. You've always done a good job of engaging and making them interesting and fun and lively and funny. And so... How's how's that going, Ken? I mean, you're you're still pretty much in the same place these days. I mean, is it a new company? Did you change company names along the way? What what? Give tell us where what's happened with you since then.
2: Yeah, and it's so funny because the 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 compliance piece. You know, we're in this expand the brand mode. Um, people always reference me as a compliance guy. Um, and mainly because I can't stop reading everything that exists around real estate and mortgage, and I just happen to to love that. And so when I talk, oftentimes like, yeah, but you've got to do it right, and here's what right looks like. Um, but the compliance side is just a portion of what we do. The Knowledge Cube is a now is a community where people can join up and uh, learn from the best, you know, trainers in the industry. Um, we try to just uh, bring. Uh, amazing content to everybody, whether it's compliance or leadership or... Dude, I just stopped crying. Uh, we filmed a podcast episode this morning um, with a buddy of mine, Craig Davis. Um, our podcast is called Lessons from Last Time. And we basically break out people who've gone through really difficult times. How did they get through? how did they make it to the other side? Uh, and he brought up... I mean, he just went through uh, cancer a couple years ago. And so we literally just sat and cried on a podcast and talked about how do you tell your 11-year-old daughter, daddy has cancer. So, I mean, we do a lot more than talk about compliance. Uh, The podcast is really kind of a, a, a move into how do we just help the industry? Like Whether you're in the industry or not, it helps to hear that others have gone through struggles and that they made it through. And then- you know, you have that hope and those skills for you to make it through. So it's why we call it lessons from last time. Like what lessons can you take away? So yeah, it's been a lot. It's been basically whatever the industry needs. It just so happens that this industry needs a lot of clients.
1: (laughs) Well, what you do for lenders, uh, Steve and I kind of do with the podcast and and masters in real estate, right? Always try and be in the very front, cutting edge and bring it to everybody. So they expand their knowledge, their ethics, they do it right. And it's going to help everybody. You know, we're going to interact with one another. And the more everybody knows, the better time we're all going to have. But I, I'm curious about your perspective as, as a lender uh, trainer, uh, and you're very cognizant about teaching them to do things right. What do you think realtors aren't doing right?
2: <laughs> Dude, you're going to get me not invited back for sure. Uh, This is, it's so funny when you invite me on because I'm like, I've been in a couple conversations. There's a guy in your group that tags me every time you see something sketchy. Uh, And then I come in as the police. And uh, it's so funny because I don't mean to do it, but I can't stop myself. And I'm actually in my office. This is literally my office. People think it's a background. Um, I'm in my office and I was sitting right uh, on the other side of this wall is my car. And I was sitting in my car one time for literally 45 minutes to an hour uh, going back and forth on one subject with your community. And most of your community is rock stars, right? I love them. They're amazing. But then you get these people in there that just really think they know what they're talking about. And on a specific subject that I am an expert on, I don't, uh, I can't stop bringing truth. And so I sat there and when I came in, my whole team was like, dude, what did you just do? Because I was like sweating. I was like so angry. I'm like, I just went down this rabbit hole. Uh, it, but it was a RASPA conversation and it was such a funny one. I think RASPA is something we should all be, you know, paying attention to. And it was one where somebody said, you know, if a borrower or sorry, if a if a buyer um, sends you one of their friends that you could give them a gift for that referral. And I'm like, no, you can't. Like, It's a referral gift to anybody for a thing of value to anybody in exchange for the referral is wrong. And they were like, no, it's just if you, refer, if you pay somebody in the industry. And so we just went back and forth on it. But like, that's just an easy one uh, that I see probably the most. Um, I just had a conversation before jumping on here with a loan officer who had a realtor want him to share space in their, their office and so she brought him in and he's like, yeah, let me go do the math. So he does all the right math, right? What's the square footage? What would it cost to rent that? What would it cost to have a billboard out front if it's not a real estate company? what we gonna, Like does all his math and brings it back to her and he's like, here it is. And she's like, dude, I just want cash. Like hook me up. And so, I mean, we still wow. see that garbage um, and it's just insane. So I think that um, we still have some fraud, you know, hiding of addendums, um the thing about the industry right now is in a mortgage audit, they're starting to look at emails. Um, and we saw a couple emails uh, get tagged and flagged this year um, that were hiding a sewer. Um, there was sewer work that needed to be done. And the loan officer emailed the realtor and said, hey, you know, this is going to stop our deal. Can you just have to do it outside of closing and eliminate that disclosure? Well, he did it through his corporate email, which means the regulator can see it. And so um, we still see that uh, happening, um, but yeah, it's oh the last thing, and every loan officer would hate me if I didn't bring this up. Realtors quoting interest rates is driving everybody insane. Um, quoting interest rates as if they have access to those interest rates, or as if they have um, you know, as if they're correct today, but they're missing all the disclosures. And a lot of times, those interest rates are incorrect. Um, Steve, you know, you know this. I mean, as a loan officer, you're in it every day. You know, in real estate, you're in real estate every day. And so you pay attention to the rates, but also um there are requirements when you quote a rate that you have to have APR, that you have to have all these other things. And so we're seeing it a lot right now. Um, you know, lending tree will have somebody at a super low rate, a realtor will pick that up and go, hey, Facebook, guess what? Rates are now this. And it's like, well, no, that was an incorrect post on lending tree. You're now communicating it and killing all the loan officers by by doing so. Cause then they go to a loan officer with their 520 credit score, recent bankruptcy, two foreclosures, and they're like, "I hear that the rates are this." It's like, well, that's why we have disclaimers. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, let me let me dig push dig a little deeper on that, Ken. So so, so cl- you're at a you're at a listing appointment. Client goes, "Hey, so what are what are mortgage rates doing these days? I heard they dropped a little bit." As a realtor, what what's your recommendation? I think being evasive is weird too. I'm just going to put that out there. If you go, oh, oh I can't go there because. CNBC says it, like if the guys on cnbc the the, the correspondents can can say rates are in the low the high sixes, I, it feels like we should be able to say something like that, right? without getting specific.
2: what high sixes is, isn't very specific, right? You're exactly. talking about a conversation. You're not talking about a Facebook post. yeah, you're talking about your conversation with the 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 borrower or the buyer. Um, the best thing you can do, so I've got a few buddies that have just engaged with technology that that posts real interest rates right now right? I have another buddy that just launched a software company where you can go on and actually see a bunch of real, real, like, real rates that can actually be locked today. And it's today's rates with real circumstances. And so if you've got a mortgage company that you work with that has something like that, actually, let's check it out right now. Like, let, let me pull it up. And so pulling it up and going, look at this company. Oh, I just thumbs up myself. That was super
0: cool. <laughs> that was cool
2: pulling it up and going, you know, look at this company right here. I do a lot of business with them. And the coolest thing is they've got these daily rates that are posted. Then that's the best way. It's also a great way for you to go. Let me give you this number. You can call them or her number. You can call her. Um, It's a great way to intro that as well. Um, And you couldn't do that before because we didn't see a lot of people posting their rates. If you remember like the Oregonian liar section, every Sunday they have the rates, but you had to submit them by Wednesday. Like how accurate can you be? Where now, like, I can literally go to my buddy's website and see what rates are right now. And so just using that to bridge them to the loan officer, I think would be my recommendation.
1: Yeah. Good advice. Yeah. Good advice. I think the, the inaccuracies are not necessarily someone being unethical. I think a lot of people just don't know. A lot of people don't. They get respo wrong all the time. There's a lot of people that don't understand uh, antitrust. Uh, you know, 67.3%. Uh, percent of all st- statistics are just made up on the spot. Oh, made up.
2: <laughs> it's 67.8 now.
1: Yeah. oh yeah, that's right. You're right. And uh it's funny, like people, if they read it on the internet and they and they agree with it or want to believe it, then they will promote it without verifying it. And it drives me bonkers. Like the whole attrition of how many brokers left when PMAR called for their dues in January. I heard you know, forty percent in Oregon and forty-four percent in Washington, and I also heard like five percent. So, what is the real? It, nobody knows. But right, educate yourself and don't stick your foot in your mouth, especially if what you say might be against the laws. <laughs> that's my word of caution.
2: Did the same thing happen on mortgage? I mean, I heard so many people like, yeah, sixty percent of mortgage regulators are gone. I'm like, I know where the number comes from, and that's not it. And the number hasn't been released. Like we know who sends out the real data. And when that data hasn't come out yet, it's easy for somebody to just throw something out there. And then once you've heard it somewhere, it becomes fact, whether or not it's real. And so, and I love how you phrased it. People want to believe something, so it becomes truth. And so that's the piece that we see, like, especially when, when realtors or loan officers are talking about well, I just heard you know eighty percent of the business left. Well, that's a cool, convenient thing to think, but if it's not truth, then you're just fooling yourself. I think
0: they're they feel pain. We all feel pain. Like let's be clear, sure. this is a tough yeah. market, and I have yeah. I want to I want to ask you some questions about your perspective here, Ken, in a second. But we're in a tough market. We're feeling pain. I think it makes them feel better to t- start talking about people that left the business because then they, their pain feels lessened. Like I'm still in the business. I'm in pain, but I'm in the business. These guys left 40%, 5%, 10%, whatever, right? Your podcast on that note, Ken, let, let me ask you this question. Your podcast is called what I learned from before.
2: Lessons from last time.
0: And, it, and and is is the general premise of that like lessons from the great recession that are being applied today or last time is general?
2: Dude, it was supposed to be like my first episode was uh, you went through 08. How did that go? And what tools are you using for now? And it was like my second episode, I talked to this woman, um, Esty Briggs, still one of my favorite episodes. And it was, I was still getting used to podcasting, but um, I talked to her and she's out of the mortgage industry now. Um, and so we were going to talk mortgage. And then I i got into the subject of her husband who died after a seven-year battle with cancer. And she was telling me the story and I'm like, is this, I thought we were going to talk mortgage. And she's telling me the story. And then she says, you know, he had gone to the hospital in 2021 and I just it, it made me go, oh, you sat in a parking lot, like that was my only reaction. Was I remember seeing people in parking lots of hospitals where you couldn't go in to see your loved one, and it just hit me so hard. And I was like, what's that lesson? Like, how'd you do that? And she's like, oh, I called my mom. Like, I called my mom. That's the only person I got. And she started teaching me that the people around us are the ones who get us through tough times. And I'm like, okay, I need more gems. Like, where else can we learn from this? So some are pretty mortgage specific, but a lot of them are just you know people i my my old assistant actually still a friend of mine was in columbine her best friend was killed and her husband her uh, boyfriend was shot and i had her on just talking about that experience and what what are the takeaways and what's it like to be a parent of a kid you're sending to school so like it there's no boundaries to it anymore now it's just
0: drawing from adversities basically yeah general adversities and Using them to strengthen you go through whatever you're going through, good go good or bad today. No, that's 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 powerful. Um, when did you start it, Ken? That podcast?
2: Uh, last March, I think was episode one, and we release it every Monday.
0: Okay, and and let me ask you a question, Ken, because I I actually like asking this question, especially especially to the to my mortgage friends, and and I've been surprised by the answer, even though maybe I haven't been. Um, when you talk, and I know you talk to way more guys than I do. How do they compare this to the Great Recession?
2: Oh, it's so different. It's worse
0: yeah, that's what that's what I hear
2: too yeah, because we had hard in the Great Recession. the mortgage originators never stopped originating yeah um you you were given government programs that gave you access to still be able to do loans for people um and you know, granted, there wasn't any equity in America, so it definitely hurt because you couldn't do. I mean, we bought a house in 2010 and had no equity. We just had to hold on to our house. Like it was just a different world.
0: But you were doing short sale loans.
2: Um, but yeah, now you're doing short sales. Now you're doing like, there was still stuff. You
0: were doing short sales and foreclosures. Yeah. yeah you were, they were small loans. We, I remember we were selling $200,000 houses because there were foreclosures or short sales, but they were, you know, and we were doing v, a lot of VA and FHA and, but there were loans, there were loans. Now it's just like, I mean, the statistics are staggering. So they just officially in the last week or two announced that in 2023, the number of units sold nationally, I think it's around 4 million, maybe 4.1 million nationally, which is the lowest since 1995. So that tells you right there, less units since anything in the Great Recession and the only reason it was 1995 is because there was 27% less houses and people back then, right? Population has increased. Housing has number of you know, homes out there has increased. So you had to go back a ways, back to a time where there was just less activity because of that. So it's staggering. And so then when you think about that, okay, so there's the lowest number of units sold last year further back than the great recession, that in of itself tells you this is worse for the mortgage people than the great recession. But then on top of that, how much of that is cash? How much of that is, you know, things that, that lenders have no, no part in. I mean, it is pretty bad. Yeah.
2: But dude, you, you have to ask yourself, why is the number so low? And I think the real estate and mortgage community needs to take some responsibility for that number being low. Because we focus on that number and we're like, yeah, things suck. But meanwhile, I want to move out of my house and buy a new house. I look every single day online and zero realtors call me. Like me and all my friends, I'm 49 years old. I just turned 49 on Christmas. Me and all my friends have our kids moving out of the house and nobody's hitting me up to see if I'm planning on on downsizing from a 4,300 square foot house to a smaller house. The answer is yes. The answer is I want to downsize and I want to move into a house with a view. And so every day I look for my house with a view and I'm the only one doing it because the real estate community has taken a step back in in my own experience and not reached out and said, dude, like, do you really want to do that? Because I could be looking for houses. You don't have to, like, I want somebody to feel like there's hope for me um, because I will straight up buy another house now my sales price is going to be probably the same as my my house I'm selling because I'm just shifting what I want, right? I don't need all the space. And now I want a view, but I want something newer. So it's for the real estate community. This is going to be dope. Now for the mortgage industry, I don't have a very big loan. I bought it in 2011. So you might work with me and we might do a basic trade. I think I owe 300,000 on my house. So you might only get a $300,000 loan, but it's a loan. And so hit me up. Like, and not everybody on this
0: call hit me up. but um, <laughs> Careful what you wish for. We've got a big audience is going to be calling Ken
1: Perry after this show. That's, uh, you just described my journey, Ken, with the whole downsize the big house, get a small one-level view. The, I've been looking every day. I just, you can't, it's the inventory, what's out there is not fabulous.
2: So go create inventory. Like find some.
1: Yeah. You know, I
2: I want to move to downtown Canvas. My wife and I have decided that downtown Canvas will be a great spot to live. It's the best city in America, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and so if somebody was walking the streets of downtown, finding out if anybody wants to sell, and I think there are a few people doing this. So this isn't to say nobody is. But if somebody's like hitting those people up, going, "By the way, if I found you a buyer, what would the price be that you would want to sell for?" Right. Find me that house and then come back to me and go, Hey, Ken, I know you wanted to live down there. It's a little expensive right now, but the Johnsons are willing to move for this price any chance, right? So do the work. Like you might not get the deal right away, but do the work. And then I know you're working for me and I'm never going to question your comp, right? If you are doing that, I'm not going to any other real estate agent. I'm not going to question you when the buyer's fee comes back high. Because, yeah, you worked your butt off for that. And I saw that happening. Um, And I think that's where there is some opportunity um, because it's, I mean, that's just my. And by the way, one guy has sent me a listing um, because he heard me talk at a seminar and he's like, hey, dude, this looks like the house you talked about. His name's Rich. And I was like, dude, that's close. And I had never thought about doing business with him, but I'm like, oh, like you heard me. You listened and you believe there's deals to be done.
1: Mhm. Yeah. Interesting time. So, with the market talk, what do you think it's going to look like this next year?
2: Dude, it's I I've stopped predicting a little bit just because who knows. I think it feels a lot better right now. I know from our clients, you know, we have a lot of mortgage clients that are are getting prequels in. Um they're getting pre-approvals, they're getting uh it's starting to feel better. The houses there's more houses listed. Uh, it feels that way. I don't have all the data on it, but um, what we have is a, is a very emotional situation in, the, in the, the real estate industry. We have people who, who for a while it was FOMO, right? So fear of missing out, you know, I want to buy a house because they're going up. There's, you know, the rates are three. I'm going to miss out if I don't get these 3% interest rates. Well, we switched to FOMO, which is fear of better options better options is, well, I might buy it, but I mean, let's wait and see if the rates go down. So you have some of that emotional. So as soon as the rates start ticking down, it's like, oh, then people start to listen. And the rates have been um, that we're way off of the highs. Uh, and I actually put a Facebook post out like, hey, why isn't anybody saying this? Because I, I looked at my buddy's website. I'm like, wait, are those the real rates? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I thought they were still eight. And he's like, no. I'm like, what? And but nobody's talking about that, and again, that goes to the mentality of the real estate community. If I if I believe deals will close, I'm going to post a little bit differently, and I don't think we've been celebrating some of those wins um, because we need to be celebrating it so that people out there say, "Oh, maybe it's an okay time to buy a house." Right? And my favorite realtor is like, "Yeah, now sucks. Today was another sucky day." Then I'm like, "Cool." Then I'll step out of this. Like, I don't need to buy a house right now. If you're not happy and you're in the business, then I'm should probably back away. So it's a mentality thing.
1: There's a, a little bit of a buzz that people say that, you know, hey, once, once the rates go down another point, then we're going to be back on. It's going to be crazy like it was. You, you read a lot on social media and people are starting to use that as a cliche that, you know, we were at, at low eights and they just say, hey, you know, we get sub six, And it's going to go bonkers, multiple offers again, all that stuff. Look, I don't know if that's true or not, but I know that the faith in the economy back in, I think it was December, when they announced that the rates will be reduced three times in 2024 minimum, the rates went down that day after that announcement. And then they have been going down and you do see the activity. It it seems like there's a little more activity going on. and
2: but everybody needs to punt their idea that we're ever getting back to oh uh, to twenty one and and uh, to, to 2020, 2021. Like that was a pandemic that caused the rates to drop that low. If we go into a world war, then chances are we're going to see those rates again. Absent a world war, we should stop saying we're going to get crazy.
0: But then you also have a world war. <laughs> so
2: I know. Like it's not. This is not a reality. The reality is we're going to go back to a normal market. But nobody should ever say it's going to be game busters like 21. No. If it is, we're all screwed because that means the world is falling apart.
0: Yeah. And I would even say if we could all go back in time and I I don't think now in hindsight, we wanted 21. What happened in 21? I mean, (laughs) we don't ever want that again because what it does when rates go that low, yeah, you benefit for the two years that they're that low. We did. We were but we might pay the price for that for five, eight years because those rates are still there and they're going to be there for a long time. I, I, I know for a fact, guys, 20 years from now, I'm going to be going to a listing appointment. And someone's gonna be like, yeah, we still got that 2.75 rate, right? It's, they're going to be out there for a long time. And I'm not saying, you know, at every year that goes by, there'll be less of them. And, and, and time will eventually, you know, declog that, but not entirely, not at least for 30 years when those loans actually truly come to fruition. Um, I did hear an interesting line the other day I was going to mention said the best marketing for rates in the sixes is when we had rates in the eights, right? That is, that is a benefit (laughs) that we (laughs) are enjoying, right? When, when rates, when rates were first in the sixes, you know, six at seven, eight months ago, people are like, "Oh, this is high." I remember they were just in the fives or fours. Well, then they go to the eights, and now they're back in the sixes, and it looks they look a lot better. So that is a that is a benefit that we're apprec, you know, enjoying now.
2: Yeah, every every markdown, like we get into the fives, and and it it is people starting to go, okay, well, cool, I could do that. You know, I think I have three on my loan, um, but if you take three to five and look at the payment difference versus the house that I want. Um, and I'm going to probably downsize a little. So, I mean, it might still make sense. The rate doesn't dictate necessarily what people are going to do. It's just what makes sense.
0: Hmm. Hmm.
1: Kirk Faulkner uh, yeah. just uh, wrote a, a comment that I totally agree with. You know, everything kind of goes off the table during a campaign year, uh, and it's predictable that they can artificially. Mm-hmm. Lower the rates because that's the best thing for the current POTUS to maybe get reelected again is giving the the illusion that we're in a healthy economy and things are going well. And so, the rates usually are lower during uh, election year. And I, I I've seen that year after every election. It's historic.
0: Yeah, I heard something interesting today on CNBC that actually was that that made me think. I don't necessarily agree that the Fed is going to try to help one president, one one candidate or another. But what was what, and there are people, and I get there's people that do think that. Um, but what I did hear today that was fascinating is what if the Fed goes out of their way to show that they're not helping a candidate? In other words, what if, in because 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 you know they they have statistics that you know they have a line and statistics on what's the likelihood that there'll be a fed drop in March. What's the likelihood of June? They were, this person was opining that maybe they don't want to start dropping in June because it is so close to the election. So maybe they do move it forward for that reason. You know, so it's, it is interesting. In other words, it's not just about helping the election. There could be actions to go out of the way to show they're not helping the election, you know, from a timing standpoint. So it is going to be interesting regardless of what happens.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Historically they do stay. There's not usually a lot of spikes during election years. So I would, I would anticipate very little this year. Um, uh, my, from the experts, I know all I'm hearing is steady lowering, um, getting back to something reasonable. So, Uh, And by the way, I follow Matt Graham, if anybody is interested in um, the right people to listen to. Matt Graham is one of the smartest dudes in the mortgage industry. You'll see him on CNBC, um, and he's just a freaking genius, and he lives in Hillsboro, So local guy.
1: Awesome. That's cool. Yeah. All right. We haven't really uh, scraped the surface yet on the best of masters. There were two topics, Ken, and maybe you just want to do a little tiny smidgen on it. The NAR lawsuit, um, we think, you think is maybe going to change the landscape of real estate. Where there's chaos, there's opportunity. Where there's opportunity, there's always somebody that wants to cut it a little lower and make it up in volume versus make it up in getting uh, you know competitive rates uh, according to the market. You got to be careful what you say with antitrust. But you had a, a theory about the NAR lawsuit and what you think might be popping up uh, in the future. You want to uh, give us your thoughts on that? I will.
2: I will. And I'll give you a lot of background to this too, so that you're not just getting a, a statement, you're getting some thinking um, and some analysis behind it. So let me just start by saying uh, the NAR is um, it's, this isn't opinion. They're, they're one of the strongest lobbies in the entire you know United States. They're, a, an absolute powerhouse. And for, for the real estate community to be running like they have for as long as they have has been largely due to NAR's power and, and to the funding that NAR gets to be able to um, lobby the way that they do, to be able to have those connections the way that they do. Um, and so for, it's been a very long time that Realtors have been in a really sweet spot, largely due to a really strong powerhouse of an advocate on the Hill um that being said uh, any any sort of challenge to that um has usually come and gone and this is the first one that i've noticed really stick because it goes to um what consumers are paying and what they know they're paying or don't know that they're paying right so um it's not about uh it's not about necessarily like a lot of the regulatory things like, well, this is unfair. And so we're going to make a change to this, right? A lot of times a regulator will come along, LO comp happens, you know, loan origin compensation, the regulator goes, Hey, we don't think you should be able to change your comp based on per deal. And they make a rule change that actually affects the compensation of loan officers. That's not what this is, right? This is consumers being harmed is, is the way it's framed. And therefore, it's going to be different than a regulator, right? The regulators aren't touching real estate, the real estate community, um, versus what mortgage faces. Real estate community doesn't face nearly as much uh, um, of scrutiny by a regulator. So this is more a consumer's being harmed, and so that's kind of the the framework for it. Now, if you back away and look at this logically, and take off your real estate or mortgage hat, and you look at it, you go, okay. If I want to buy a house tomorrow, what do I pay to buy a house? What's my percentage that I pay? We all know there's kind of a percentage we know people have been paying, and we'll avoid antitrust by not talking about that. But, but like, there's an we know, right? So, if I was going to go buy a house tomorrow, I would think about cool, who pays my real estate person, right? And so, we look at it and well, my fee is being paid for by the seller who's being told, yeah, we need to do this in order to get a real estate agent to show this house. Let's get this comp built so that they can be paid out of the sale of that home. And we all for years have known when I sell my house, I need to pay for my seller's agent. I need to put some money up there for my my buyer's agent. That's how we get the house sold, right? And so a lot of FISBO companies, you know, came and went, we've seen them. They're, they've been very uh, cut rate, but it feels cut rate when you go in there. It's like, you know, the carpet is shagged still. And it's like, but I can help you. You know, you just haven't gotten the quality out of that. Um, partly because technology wasn't what it is today. And so, um, so I think about what would I pay as a buyer's agent right now? It's zero. Cool. I'll use a buyer's agent because it's zero, right? Not thinking about the fact that it isn't zero, it's coming out of the sales price. And so, I don't care. Which is built into the price the of the house. Seller's home. paying it. Right. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. And so in my mind as a buyer, I don't I don't care. Right. So I'll grab a buyer's agent. Hey, let's go find me a house. The buyer's agent does that work. What this has done is cause people to go, what is it they do? Like, what does a buyer's agent do for me? And I know a buyer's agent does quite a bit, right? I mean, I had a buyer's agent when we bought our house, it was a short sale. We we made the offer in And this is 2010, made the offer on Thanksgiving and closed right before Easter. So I know my realtor was in it every single day. My realtor was the kind that he would crawl through the crawl spaces when he walked into a house. Like, let me go look. And he would just like dive in. And I'm like, you do that, dude. That's awesome. And he would give me the analysis on everything. And and I know that that dude earned that money, but I also didn't have to pay him. Um, And so now it's like, well what do I get out of this scenario? And if I was looking at it on a house, let's say I buy a million dollar house. And if I was to be told that I have to pay $30,000 for a million dollar house, just human emotion and what I'm willing to do, I'm going to now ask my buyer's agent what they're doing for that 30 grand. right? And so I'm going to start asking questions. So all it is, is a realtor has to be able to tell me what their worth is as a buyer's agent. And if you can do that, that's awesome. And if you can't do that, then you should be very concerned. Um, And so what we're seeing is now the mortgage community, and and I predicted this when you and I talked last uh, year, I was in New Orleans, I think when we first had our conversation, and I was saying, there will be mortgage companies that go, why don't we just take over the buyer's agent side? And we're already seeing, like, from our perspective, with as many mortgage companies as we train, um, we are now having a lot of requests for pre-licensing education for realtors, Um, Where they're starting to move them over to the mortgage side, because if I could do the loan on that property, then I don't need to make as much as a buyer's agent. What if we had a buyer's agent that was a qualified, talented, gifted, you know, uh, agent? What if we had that person just work for the mortgage company, and now the mortgage company runs a buyer's side where they control the loan and they control the purchase, and it's happening. Like I can't even tell you how many calls I get weekly. I get calls. Hey, we've got 10 realtors we're hiring, we need you to train them on loans. Um, because we're seeing them shift over to the mortgage side. So it's gonna be interesting, but that's that that is already occurring.
1: Mm-hmm. And they, they work And and then you also mentioned that they sometimes might work on an a la carte sort of uh, hey if you buy a million dollar house and sort of the competitive rate today that would be, uh, you know, a commission for one side would be either, you know, twenty-two thousand five hundred to thirty thousand is sort of what we see that seems to be competitive. But someone might say, "Hey, look, I'll show you the house. I'll write an offer. We'll negotiate an inspection thing for X, like a, a fifth of that. You know, five grand, seventy-five hundred, ten grand, whatever, and." People, uh, you know, who don't see the value in realtors are like, well, hey, look, if being completely transparent with all parties, including buyers, and if the buyers are on the hook, we we see BACs being zero or one dollar. I mean, we're starting to see that. So if if the seller isn't agreeing to do it, and and the buyer is going to do it, it's like, well, I want this guy over here who is just going to do these three things and get paid a fifth of what this other one was. And and you think that's going to be a real thing. I didn't know that they were going to be going over to the lender side. I just thought it would spur maybe a new company of, hey, here's all of our people, use them to write offers because we got a flat fee for services.
2: Well, but the problem with that is you still have the shag carpet, right? So if it goes to the mortgage side, the mortgage company makes money on mortgages, right? They make money on loans. All they want is the loan because that's the only way they currently get paid. Um, If you can take the real estate side as a buyer uh, or as a buyer's agent goes over to the mortgage space, all you need to do is the loan. Like You don't have to make money. It's like when I go speak before I had a membership program that we sell, I would go speak and charge a speaking fee. And then I'd speak next to somebody that doesn't need a speaking fee because they're going to get so many people at the back of the room buying their book that they're going to make the money on the books. Right. Well, it's the same thing. In a mortgage industry, all we want is the mortgage deal, right? And by the way, I haven't done a loan since '99, so um, I'm not. I speak as the mortgage industry sometimes by accident. Uh, the mortgage industry doesn't need to know or doesn't need to make the money off real estate, so they could literally charge two thousand dollars on a deal, and their profit comes in from the mortgage side. So if they can secure more deals and do more mortgages, what if they end up doing all the mortgages because they're the ones that have this buyer's deal that they can do? And the TikTok video writes it itself, doesn't it? Like here's what the realtors don't want you to know. Like you're paying them this much money when you could actually just pay this much money. Come to ABC mortgage, where we take care of the real estate side for $1,000. Like, I mean, how do you fight that? Like, that's where people, the reaction to this from the real estate community needs to be. How do we fight that? Like, what, what does that mean for us? Right. And it, I mean, we just launched an AI product. So now you can search guidelines using our AI. Because we saw AI pop up and we're like, okay, that could be a problem. So let's get in front of it. And you can't look at, at challenges like this and be like, well, great. We're all dead now. Cool. Most of the industry thinks that. But the smart ones go, they'll be dead now. How, what's the story where I come out on top? Let's write that story. And then let's start working on that campaign. Um, and that's where the real estate industry really needs to do that, like document
1: it. Um, what is it you do, and for who and why and this is this is sort of you see it kind of running rampant and building steam. I mean, we haven't seen too much of it. I haven't in Washington or Oregon, but you uh, I mean, you bounce all over the place, and so it's prevalent in other areas that that's the way they're moving,
2: yeah. And you're not seeing a lot because people need, still need to pass a test. You know, the NMLS test is not easy for these people to pass. So they're in pre-licensing classes right now. They're loading up. Um, and you also haven't seen a lot because mortgage, mortgage origination companies are also a little concerned about doing this. Because how do you do this and not piss off the seller's agents? Um, like, how do you not anger the real estate community by taking the buyer's side? And so it's a lot of the conversation in boardrooms are... Yes, this makes sense. Yes, we will do it. How do we do it and keep you know keep rolling and keep our referrals coming in from our listing agents? So you you can't really do this in a company that's so big that your top three loan officers have, you know, they each have five of the top real estate agents in our community, and they're looking at the company going, "Are you killing me like right now? You're killing me because you're going to take my business from these realtors. They're going to hate me. So right now it's in strategy mode. It's in prep mode. It's it's on its way up.
0: Mm. It's uh, it also seems. I mean, you can't guarantee the the mortgage to the to the to the mortgage company. So there is a scenario where that buyer's agent runs around and does get paid two thousand, and they get nothing else. They still shop the mortgage and go with somebody else. I mean, there's nothing. There's no signed agreement that could guarantee the mortgage.
1: Yeah, no guarantees. But it's sort of like. Uh, you know, you have a client that maybe wants to sell, maybe wants to rent. And they said, you know, let's rent this for two years. And you refer them to a property manager. And if that property manager finds out that, hey, the guy doesn't want to rent anymore, you know, their job out of respect and courtesy, you brought it to them. They're going to say, hey, you know, Steve, hey, Joe, this person wants to sell. It goes back to you. You know, they're not going to recommend some other broker. And, And so, a little bit stepping on your own air hose. If all you want to do is the loans, but to get the loans, you're taking it away from your referral partners. You're taking away their job to get these loans, which is all you care about. No one's going to send you loans. I mean, right? In theory, unless they want you to send them your
2: your listings. So it, it spins the paradigm a little bit, doesn't it? So right now, it's I really want these realtors to talk to the borrower first to be able to send me that borrower so I can get them a loan. If they do this right, they can actually take the the buyer side and now they go, "Hey, I have this huge database of people when they go to sell their houses, I'm successful in this industry enough to need to send them over to a listing agent cuz we won't touch listing agents." And then you've created that uh that flip a little bit. Where now it's like, "Do you want to do business with me?" Cause I've got this huge database of people that go to me cause we're so good, but we also close for so little, but I want to introduce you to them when they want to sell. I mean, does that change? And I don't know. Um, if they're successful, then yeah, it probably does. Um, but it's not just, I mean, you have to remember the whole game is changing. I was just on Zillow yesterday. Uh, they rolled out in January. So what that's this month still, AI. Um, they rolled out the AI. And so you're not just fighting against, people trying to get in, you're fighting, fighting against companies using technology to try and replace. Um, and now you can tell AI, you know, the beauty of AI is it's a conversation. And that's the difference between AI and search, right? When you're using search, you can search guidelines, but AI is just going to answer your question. Now you don't have to search. And so same thing with, with their new buyer's agent tool or buyer tool. I can go on to Zillow and be like, by the way, if you see something like this, come up, let me know. Like, I kind of like this, I kind of like that. And then it's going to feed you, theoretically, it's going to feed you, dude, you like this? Check this out, right? And and I promise you, a computer's better at that than than a lot of, of people, humans can be, right? And so then it's going to feed me that. I don't have to go search because it's going to be like, what about this? Well, why didn't you like it? Well, I hated it because it's a two-car garage. I won't buy another house with a two-car garage. Um, and so that's like a non-starter for me. And so I'm going to be like, dude, if, Zillow, if you send me one more two-car garage, I'm going to stop using you. Oh, my bad. And it's going to ship you three-car garages. Like that, it is, it's here. Like that exists today. They have they just made a huge announcement in January that they've got it. And and they're they, uh, it is going to change the game a little bit too. So again, it's going back to what do I do? Like what is an agent, what is my value to you? Um, if If searching for the house isn't necessarily... My highest and best for you right now, then what is it? Is it the negotiation? Is it the? I've been around long enough to know that some of these houses are paint and carpet. Like we all have seen those, right? Like you know, it just got listed, but it got bought three months ago and it was a hellhole with a bunch of mold and a bunch of, and they just threw some carpet and painted over the mold and now they're selling it and it looks super sexy. Well, a real estate professional knows that. And a real estate professional is going to go, I provide that value. Like I'm tracking the history of the home. Um, And so there's things that, it's just an example, but there's things that that real estate professionals can look at and go, hey, here's my value. And by the way, mortgage people, mortgage people aren't the best. There's only one company with the best rate on any given day, right? The mortgage people need to be able to say, well, yeah, but with me, here's what you get. And I think that's the beauty of this is it's causing people to have to go back and define their value. I know my value, and I can tell you why we're expensive, right? But I can tell you why. I can put a list together. You, know, you talked about that. Steve, you said you, know, you went to this seminar, you raced cars, you laughed. Like We had a killer lunch. I can tell you why we're better, right? But a lot of mortgage people can't do that. And so the question becomes, how fast can you come up with that list? Then it becomes cost. Right.
0: In the absence of being able to explain your value, it becomes
1: about fee the lowest and then it's a race
0: to the bottom. Yes, 100%.
1: Yeah. I think it's all encompassing. I mean, pretty much those investors that, you know, put spray paint on a turd or whatever you call it, uh, you know, lipstick on a pig. Everybody knows shoddy craftsmen. I mean, it, they don't even try and do a good job about it. They just, you know, just slop it all over the place. But uh, kind of against popular belief and public belief, you know, our real job is to talk buyers out of buying a house. Pretty easy to sell them a house. It's got a big porch and a swinging bench. And it's like, oh, my gosh, American dream. They want it. And it's like, well, you know, let's let's see how this sewer line is doing. And let's see if it has lead based paint and asbestos. And let's check the foundation. This house is 100 years old. There's so much beyond negotiations but just identifying what this person's buying is it the money pit and are they buying it just cuz it's cute or is this something that's going to like be a money pit for the next you know 5 years and i think every broker out there needs to find their what their value is and not only for the seller but now also for the buyers that
2: story has to be told that's how you do it you tell that story Right you tell the story about the one agent in town and you wouldn't use their name but like there might be an agent in town that every single deal they overprice cuz their whole scam is overprice it and get a sucker they know that you know tell the story like why not ai like you need to explain that to me why not ai and and the answer cuz i'm human doesn't win the day right i mean look at how many things and i think i told you this the other day joe when facebook came out for the first time I did a seminar and I'm like, this is a game changer. Like you will win business on Facebook. You will build relationships on Facebook. You will connect with your audience on Facebook. And people in the audience were like, Ken, nobody will ever put pictures of their family into a public environment where people can see it. You know, we're so private. We'll never post a a meal that we're eating. We'll never post. And I'm like, you guys, like pay attention. Yes, they will. Like you you can't say no, no, no. You have to say, what if they do? What does that mean for me? Like, how does that change my game? Um, You can build an entire training class with me, with my face and my voice. You can AI an entire training class. And it's probably going to be more research than me because AI knows more than I do. And you can do that. So then what does that mean for me? Like, where do I exist? And I have to ask myself that question every single day. So I can't be like, yeah, but that's not me. Okay. Right. It's still
1: awesome. Like, We're going to have AI can on the podcast next month. <laughs> Dude, go listen to Joe
2: Rogan's podcast. Joe Rogan has a whole AI channel where he doesn't do any of the podcasts. It's AI Joe interviewing AI other people, and they're all AI. And they sound exactly like real podcasts.
1: That's scary. That, that's getting to the scary... There's no fake no fake news floating around and people taking it literally and you can't search Taylor
0: Swift right now on X, which is formerly Twitter, because there's naughty pictures of AI of her. And so there was so many that they had to just make it so you can't search for her at all. So it's coming. I mean there they call that um deep deep what do they call deep it? Deep fakes. Uh, deep deep fakes, yeah, yeah.
2: Yep. And deep fakes were created by the porn industry. That was literally the first group to create deep fakes, um, was they would put Jennifer Aniston's face on a porn star during a scene. And that was the first deep fake. And now you're seeing Obama videos that aren't really Obama. You're seeing Biden videos that aren't really Biden. Like they're legit. Um, yeah, it's a a different world.
0: Yeah. That's scary stuff. That's scary stuff, especially in an election year, right? Where in fact yeah. when there, there i mean there was a whole 60 minutes about this and and uh i mean the 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 what they're saying is i mean it, it all of us as consumers and as the audience we we need to be skeptical of anything it, it's that it's that saying if it's too good to be true then it's probably not true if, if it's so crazy that it doesn't
1: seem true it probably is not moving forward right or if it's so bizarre and the cliche of you know Believe nothing that you hear and half of what you see, right? Half of what you see can be fooled like magic. You know, the guy didn't really make the ball disappear, uh, you know, or the rabbit out of the hat. I mean, it's it's magic. There's tricks. But now it's also believe 0% of what you see because the AI videos out there are, you know, you can create one in your own image and your voice and it will make the voice and your mouth work perfectly on whatever topic because it has the power of google and wikipedia it's just i don't love that i see to me that's really quite scary i do think ai has a value like if i'm in my car and i put on a playlist and the playlist ends and it's like well hey joe you know you like van morrison and You know, so you probably like uh, Cat Stevens and 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 Rolling Stones, and I mean that works out great. But when you portray someone, and there's people out there that that don't know that some of this stuff out there is fake, they're just listening to it.
2: You're proving the point we've been talking about this whole time, right? What is it a realtor can bring? It's trust, right? I don't trust Jack anymore. I got a text the other day, "Hey, want to grab breakfast?" and I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but like I'm an adventure seeker. And so I go, Yeah, let's do it. Okay, I don't even know what this is. And this person texts back right on to 7:30 work. And I look at my watch. I'm like, yeah, I should be ready by then. Yeah, that works. Where do you want to go? And then I get this picture of some woman I've never met before. And she's like, here's me. And I'm like, out oh, now. And I go, sorry, you have the wrong number. She's like, oh, sorry, you seem nice. I'm sure you guys have received these texts. And I'm like, ah. I don't trust text messages. I don't trust anything or anybody anymore. And so I'm looking for somebody I can trust. And that's where a real estate professional can be like, by the way, stuff's crazy out there. I'm your person. You can trust me. And let me just double down on that and then double down again. Like it's relationship, it's trust. It's no matter what goes on out there, your home buying experience, I got you. And that's the piece that's valuable to me.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm hey let's move on uh new york style joe as you like to call it let's yes. let's jump into a couple topics so we we keep things moving forward here hey i want i did want to talk about this one that had to do with the showing that went long it's probably the hottest topic that we had in the last few months on masters and it, it's a it's a topic that hasn't come up before that i remember um allison opolt I may be saying her last name wrong. I apologize if I am. So she had a client um, or I'm sorry, she had a listing and somebody set up a, a showing through, I believe it was showing time. It was a 30 minute sh- request, which I guess allows for one hour, if I understand correctly here. And apparently the sellers reached out about an hour and a half later and said, Hey, is there a different showing happening? Cause the people, someone's still in my house. And, um, she did, uh, she, she showed, she shared the screenshots of the text messages. And, um, she said, um, are you still at the home to the agent that was at the home? And they said, yes, we are just leaving. She said, you've been there for an hour and a half. And the agent said, okay, I'm sorry. They were looking at everything two and three times, trying to get all the boxes checked. Our apologies. Hopefully we're not in the way of somebody else, but we're leaving now. She then said, this is an occupied home. You scheduled a 30-minute appointment and the max allowable time is one hour. My client, clients were waiting to get back in. And then the agent said, sorry, I just got caught up trying to help them and lost track of time. It then showed feedback through showing time where the agent who had shown it got a little snarky and, and aggressive and saying, basically, my pa- clients are passing on the house because you were so rude to us, on and on. It was a pretty polarizing... um Post, there was about 90 comments, and and people kind of fell into two different camps. One camp, and I actually happen to be in this one camp, and there was one funny comment. I'm on the camp that, man, if there's an hour and a half showing, we're leaving you alone. That's that's a good
2: showing. Mm-hmm. This is gonna bring in contract.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's pretty rare that hour and a half showings don't go mean something good. Um, so I'm in I'm in that camp, and I probably even I would have been more gentle possibly in just saying, Hey, my sellers are wanting to get in there. You know, how, how much longer do you think it would be? The other camp was like along her lines, which was, Hey, this is rude. You've overstayed your, your welcome. One of the funny posts was they said, if, if, an, if a showing it happens and it's good last that long, I'm bringing dinner. I'm going to call an offer to bring them dinner <laughs> so that make them comfortable there in the house. What did you think yeah. about it guys?
2: I'm not a professional, but I was like, dude, that's if I'm that listing agent, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love that you're spending that much time. This must be something they're super interested in, and I, I think that's that's gold because I take a lot of time when I look at houses.
1: Yeah, I agree. So the the third camp is I think they're both wrong, um, and I'm with you, Steve, because I think someone spends a long time in the house. Great, that's good, but today with technology. Um, if you go beyond your your half hour, you can text, you can call, you can yep. email, you could reschedule another half hour. I mean, hell, you just got to walk out to the sign and see the person's number or look on a flyer. It's very, very easy to get in touch with people. And they know it's an owner-occupied home. It's clear to everybody. So the person showing it should have been sensitive that, you know, the person is out wandering around the Safeway waiting for this to be done to come home. They should have, but you can't change history. So I think this broker, the listing broker, came in hot. And since you can't change history, if you look at the text, he's like, gosh, I'm so sorry. They just want to look at everything two and three times and they're just processing and- checking every box. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And just, it kept going back to- well, you're there for an hour and a half. And it's like, you can't change that. Like, move on. So she came in a little hot. This person could have, you know, notified we're, we're staying over time. I'm so sorry. Um, but when the people decided not to buy the house and then the guy jumps back in and says, you know what? We're moving on. This is bad energy. And, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be a bear to deal with. So we don't even want to do it. That's not the reason they discounted the house, didn't I buy it for whatever that. reason. But now that you don't have a potential uh, selling agent who is sensitive to kissing the rear end of the listing agent, now that that's off the table, it's like, you know, we probably could have put it to be- together, but you were kind of a bitch. So we just decided <laughs> not to. And that was basically yep. his message. And I don't believe any of it. I I they're not going to not buy it because of that experience, right? right. Um, so, you know, give a little bit of grace to the person just trying to do their job, and that guy could have really notified her. And and it's all about correspondence. When there's a gap in correspondence, the wheels fall off, and that's exactly what happened.
2: Well, my question too would be: was it was there a pre-message that we missed? Like, if the listing agent said, "Hey, guy, yeah, you can see it." But the deal is they've got some big plans tonight. They're having friends over. Can you make this a 30-minute showing? And if they like it, let's schedule you for a longer showing later. Was there anything like that? Because if we're going to have a sensitive seller, then it's better that we we get in front of that problem early. And we don't have that information, but that would be another interesting fact to get.
0: Yeah. Some of this comes down to the role of showing time though. Okay. Let me ask you a question, Joe. So say five years ago or 10 years ago before showing time, I call Joe up. I'm going, hey, Joe, I see your listing on 123 Main Street. And my buyers get in there at four o'clock, okay? We go there at four o'clock. You go, yeah, hey, no problem. We go there at four o'clock. You never told me the end time because that didn't used to be a thing, right? There was never like, you've got four to five, right? Unless there was a back-to-back showings. But there this that was not the case here, by the way. There was not another showing after this. In the old days, you might've said, oh yeah, you go in at four o'clock, Steve, but there's a five o'clock showing. And usually in those days, Joe, I would still be in the house and there would be a knock on the door and the five o'clock would be there and we go, oh, almost done. Give me two more minutes. We're just wrapping up, right? That was a couple comments I saw in this thread is showing time has come into our world and it has created this calendar slot because that's what its job is as technology, but But is that something that we have to abide by, even though we didn't used to, right? There was no one knocking on the door. There was no one. The listing agent clearly is attributing showing times blocking time period as something gospel. But do we all as buyer's agents? Do we? Because we didn't before showing time. So that it's a, it's a, it's a, deeper conversation in that regards. Have we changed our status of how we view showing lengths because showing time as technology has to have in periods? Does that make sense?
1: It do- well, it does. And I don't know if you guys remember, but sort of pre-COVID, it wasn't a super big deal if there were two showings at the same time. And, and it wasn't as organized with showing time and aligned showings. It just... Hey, you know, is this available? I'm going to go show it later today. And it's like, okay, you know, or if it's owner occupied, they need a time. But there has to be a little bit of grace. If you're showing five houses and they're located in a star pattern from each other, and you have to predict, okay, we go into this house, how long are they going to spend there? Then we got to lock up, load up, commute, and get over there. It's very easy to get off your timeline, especially. It depends on your buyers. Are they quick or do they like take forever? And the only way you will hit every timeline is if you extra pad, I'm going to show this house at one and I'm going to show this house at two 30 and I'm going to show this house at four. That's the only way you'll show up exactly on time. Otherwise you might be late, but we would show a property and someone's like, oh yeah, yeah, we, we saw the house. Um, It's all yours. Here's the key. Uh, We're going to go in the backyard, you know? Or, or we're going downstairs, it wasn't really necessarily a big deal. But I understand, especially for owner-occupied, they need to know when they can come back. And then also for vacant properties that are super, super popular and people who want to have private showings that don't overlap, we kind of have to now be sensitive to that time slot. Otherwise, you're going to be there at someone else's time slot. And if they're not comfortable with it, then the wheels fall off on that too. So it, it is much different than what we're used to. But you got to give a little bit of grace. I mean, there's traffic, there's unforeseen circumstances. People stay way too long. You show up late. I mean, there's been a, uh, I've, I've encountered my fair share of mean people uh, where I show up late, I say, I'm so sorry, I'm late. They un- The realtor unlocks the door, lets their buyers in, takes the key and then locks it. And it's just like, everybody's locked out. And, you know, I try not to do that, but gosh, it, it changes. And, and I do like it insofar as it, it's a little more organized. It starts here, ends here. But look, this is life, right? Are you going to show up right at 9 a.m. and leave right at 9.30? Probably not.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess, um, and, and and don't get me wrong, showing time aligned, they're here to stay. They're great technology. They've made our lives so much easier. That the the underlying question that I was asking is does the time does the showing have to end when that time slot ended if no one's behind you? And and that was, you know, the general dialogue through this. And uh and yes, I think um we have a couple comments. Lead with love. Great, great dialogue. Um, I mean just some basic communication could have happened with without the without the nastiness is is kind of the uh the tone is everything there absolutely absolutely and even if even if the deal had happened i mean just it's best to we we all interact with each other and let's let's leave good energy and and let's make our jobs as enjoyable as possible because there's enough challenges and headaches right now and in general as it is um, there, speaking of showing time, there was Matt Clays had another comment about a showing request via aligned showings approved it. And they said another agent was going to be showing the person requesting the appointment is not a member of armless or a licensed agent in the state that, and that's weird. Don't we need to be in order to use the showing tools? What'd you think on that one, Joe? Uh,
1: so I, I dug into it cause I wanted to know that for myself. Matt is really good about like learning and, and staying current. Uh, what happened was it was someone's, you know, buyer's agent assistant making the the appointment for the team lead, and so they weren't actually showing the property. They were making the appointment for their boss, who is going to go out and show it. I don't have a problem with that, but to get rid of the mystery, just log in with that person's login, and then you see a licensed person, and you know who's coming. And then they will forever be on the text thread if anything changes. So uh, I guess RMLS uh, said it's okay that a non-licensed person could do the booking of it. But that's happened to me in the past. And and someone says, hey, I'm I'm actually booking for this person who is a licensed broker. So it didn't sound like that happened when Matt saw it. Is
2: there a space for that? Can you go in and say it's it's ken Perry, but i'm booking it for this agent yeah if the tech allows for it then that's the mistake that was made by the person booking it it's just a process mistake
1: yeah there's there's a note section and and such
0: a lot of posts about the ice storm man that was a bad one that was a bad one you know what's funny is i as uh, i mean it literally froze our real estate market for 10 days um it's uh What's crazy about that storm is there was no fun in that storm. I mean, we've had big snowstorms in the past, and you know the the first few days are are fun, and there's snowmen and snow angels. This was there was no fun in this one. This was the snow, the no fun snow zone, right? Like it was just uh, it started as a uh, Arctic blizzard, North Pole, you know, high winds, freezing rain, ice everywhere, and it, then it just got worse from there, right? Trees down, power out. I have a couple of clients, seven days, no power. But it really, really... I mean, and, and I have three listings that had pipes burst. Two of them were withdrawn right now. $2.7 million house in Sherwood on acreage is withdrawn for probably two months. And all new floors, all new... I mean, it was just bad. I have another condo, something similar. It'd probably be off for several months. And I'm not alone. There's trees and houses, pictures on master's.
2: Well, not just that, but like, dude, I I live at the bottom of a hill where if it's going to snow, we all park our cars up at the top of the hill. And to get out of my hill, I had to wear snowshoes. When I drove home, I parked at the top of the hill. My daughter walked up the hill in snowshoes to bring me snowshoes so we could both walk down the hill. If I had my house listed and somebody was driving by, they'd be like, no way I'm living here. Look what has to be done in the ice. Like It would have turned everybody away from my house, whereas if it's in the summer... Like you wouldn't even think about that. But that becomes a reason you're not going to make an offer if you're seeing it during that time.
0: Yeah, those, the, that storm, I mean, nobody's looking at anything. They're hardly, I mean, outside of maybe uh, online, you know, su- searches. But um, yeah, transactions just freeze up and lock up during, during those, that stretch. I have one client, we're getting his house ready to go on the market. He lives in Forest Heights. He's a, He's a doctor at Saint Vincent's. He had to do something similar. Ken, I I was just there last week, and he was telling me the nightmare that he lived through. He had to park his house way up on Skyline above Forest Heights, and he'd he'd put he put those little you know those the chains for your shoes. What are those things called? Yeah, there's a name for them. Yak tracks. Yak tracks. Yeah, he had to put yak tracks on his shoes, and he would hike up Forest Heights all the way to his car. And then drive to the hospital. Because you think about it. I mean, a lot of us, when those storms hit, we get to just stay home and it's a snow day, but doctors have to get to the hospital. So it was a crazy one.
2: Well, we, we were flying out the next day and I took, I had only had my mini Cooper at the top of the hill. My wife's SUV that would be good in that was in our, our garage. There were three cars crashed at the bottom of our hill, just small residential community. And so I had to walk with two suitcases because we were flying away. I walked two suitcases up the hill, put them in the car, got my wife in the car, dropped her off at the hotel by the airport to fly out the next day, went back and got my daughter, walked down, brought her the snowshoes, went back up, put her in the car and then drove to the airport. It was insane. Like that's, it's a big difference.
0: Yeah. I hope to, I hope to God we have nothing like that again this year. I have no patience or tolerance for any more weather events. Okay. Well, I think we had a great show. Ken, so good to see you again and, and, and get you on here. And I know you've got a busy day with other other podcasts.
2: I've got a webinar in like an hour and 20 minutes. I'm on it or maybe I don't even know. I have to find out. Yeah, I'm going back on camera really fast.
0: Yeah, awesome. Joe, any final words before we let everyone go?
1: Nope, just thanks for your time. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of insight of inside of your brain. Uh, and I, I think you it's obvious that you speak a lot and you travel a lot and you stay current. So thanks for sharing all that, uh, today. And thank you. Hey everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Portland real estate podcast, Oregon and Washington's number one show for cutting edge real estate discussions. Also, I'd like to give a shout out to the members of Masters in Real Estate, a private and exclusive Facebook group, and the number one source for all real estate topics. Thanks for being there, gang. I love you. Finally, I want to thank our faithful listeners. Without an audience, we're just two guys talking to each other. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so the new episodes automatically come to you. Make it great.